is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 159 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to returning Rebel Sarah Rosette, and we are going to be talking all about how to write cosy mysteries. But first, to last week's question, which was, what's the best TV show or movie you've seen this year? Jackson Hollingsworth said, fabulous episode. I definitely learned a lot. One of my favourite TV shows I've watched this year has to be Heartstopper. Oh, I loved Heartstopper. It was like this little bundle of positivity and joy and love and like love is love. And oh, it was it was so sweet. If you haven't watched it, highly recommend it. And you can find it on Netflix. Uh, Jackson continues saying the show is well made, well acted and is super wholesome and sweet and full of emotional nuance. Completely agree. Edwin Downward says, uh, I watch so few shows and my wife is the one who controls the remote. (laughs) Still, we did recently discover uh, Roku, R-O-K-U, now has a channel for the 60s and 70s TV show out of uh, Britain called UFO, a fascinating blast from the past. Kim Taylor-Blakemore says, my favourite TV show this year was Gentleman Jack. Eden Collier says, I really enjoyed Arcane, Sandman and Shadow and Bone. I couldn't pick one. I have actually watched all of those, although I do actually think I've still got half an hour left of the final episode of Arcane. I might have to go and finish that. Anyway, uh, yeah, completely agree. I loved all of those as well. Was Shadow and Bone really only this year? I thought it came out last year. Anyway, I don't know. Time is a lie. Sparky Hazard says, I also have to pick two. I thought Yellow Jackets and Devs were both really great shows. Awesome. Okay, so this week's question, and I can't, I can't, I actually can't believe I'm going to ask this because it's almost (laughs) travesty. But uh, uh, what would you like for Christmas? What are you going to be asking Santa for for Christmas? Uh, I ask this because I stumbled across the Kindle Scribe this week which for those of you that don't know, is a new uh, Kindle device, uh, which enables you to also write notes, like you can handwrite notes, you can create your own notebook. So it's a bit like the remarkable, but Kindle. Um, And it's like the perfect mix for me because I I actually read faster on Kindle. Uh, I think because I can make the font bigger. No comments. (laughs) but because I can make the the font bigger I can I can scan the text faster Uh, but that said obviously I prefer reading on paper one because I don't really like being on screens all day but two because I can handwrite notes and I can put sticky tabs in but uh, this new device looks like it is the perfect blend of the two so um, I definitely popped that on my Christmas list so it made me wonder what do you guys have on your Christmas list the book recommendation of the week this week is Uh, A Lair of Bones by Helen Scheurer. Now, the reason that I have picked this one is because the final instalment in Helen's uh, epic fantasy uh, series has just come out. So I thought that uh, it would be a great recommendation uh, for this week. So uh, A Lair of Bones, the blurb goes like this. Perfect for fans of Sarah J Maas, Marie Rutowski and Alexandra Christo. A Lair of Bones is the first book in a binge-worthy epic epic dark fantasy series. As the daughter of an infinite, infamous criminal, Ro, Ro, I hope I said that right, only cares about three things. Her friends, 
finding her death song and the upcoming Royal Queen's tournament. A treacherous competition I'm already in determines the ruler of magic every 50 years. And this is Rose's uh, chance to change her life, change her destiny. But she's not the only one who wants to win. Oh, I love it. Champions from every land will fight to the death for a chance to wield unimaginable power. Uh, get ready for flawed heroines. Sorry, I'm uh, taking out the final uh, uh, paragraph, but the the ending bit says, get ready for flawed heroines, slow burn enemies to lovers, romance, epic world building, stunning magic and found family. Readers will love this fast paced, exhilarating, exhilarating fantasy. So if you like the sound of that, and who wouldn't, because hello competition, everybody drink, then uh, yeah, go and uh, have a look. I have dropped all of the links in the show notes. So in personal update then, I finished the book. <laughs> Yay! I can't remember quite where I was last week, but I uh, I basically wrote the draft in two weeks and four days, which is a new record for me. Uh, it's, it's 70k, it's literally just tipped over 70k. And it's also a big fucking trash turd pile of turd, basically. <laughs> you know, what first draft isn't a pile of turd, to be perfectly honest with you. No, no, I mean, like, it's really bad. <laughs> But that's okay, because now we get to the good bit, which is where we can make it perfect. And um, it's it's tricky because I kind of wrote like 56,000 words before I really found the voice. And then that was really frustrating to get through the last 20K because all I wanted to do was go back and start editing so I could blend it and make the voice right. Uh, I'm really excited by the voice. It does uh, kind of need some tweaking at the prose level still, but oh my goodness me, this book is, I just had so much fun writing it. And I it just really reminded me that actually that is the point of writing. Sometimes I think I stick a rod up my ass because, you know, I think that I'm supposed to be writing something. Oh, I don't know. Or like, I think it should be this or it should be that because that's society's expectation or I don't fucking know. But anyway, I just pulled the rod out of my bum and uh, wrote and had fun. And oh, I nearly told you about it then. But yeah, I put things in like, you know how Jennifer Lynn Barnes talks about writing for the id. And if you haven't, then it's a free... Um, it, no, it's not free. That's not true. It's $6 or it was last time I checked, uh, which was a few months ago, but it's on write, Romance Writers of America. If you just type into Google, Jennifer Lynn Barnes, uh, writing for the id. It's a, a seminar and she talks about um, writing for your id, which is the, the psychology, it's all to do with psychology. Anyway, it's basically giving your brain exactly what it wants. You know, we are wired for things like competition, like in Helen's uh, book, because survival of the fittest, and that's literally our biological wiring. And other things like um, wealth and, you know, all the things that basically help us to survive. And so I just poured all of that stuff into the book. And as a result, I had more fun writing it. And I, you know, I, I am really excited as to where this can go. I'm excited for the potential. Um, in the background, I'm kind of creating a plan B. I'm not sure whether or not it will work. Um, and if it doesn't, then I will just pivot again until I find something that does work. Uh, because that is the point of <laughs> this whole business, right? You just get to experiment until you find something that works. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And of course, this is the book that's going out under the pen name. Um, however, I have now settled on the next nonfiction and I've been pulling resources this week as well, which has been good. So I am going to dive into reading all of that stuff ready uh, to get writing the next nonfiction in November and um, as long as I can get that done depending on how long it takes I do plan to release that 
in the early part of the year, I think. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. I'm very excited for it. And of course, um, I'm now moving back to trying to finish up the audiobook as well. So I will be working on that too. I think that is probably most of the update for me. I am presenting at Daniel Wallace's uh, next conference, which is around the 18th of October, I believe. So just as the next um, episode will go live. So I will probably include links to that in the upcoming episode. Um, but if you are interested, it is a craft conference. Uh, if you are interested, then uh, if I can, before this goes live, I will drop a link in, even though I haven't given you a huge amount of information. But it is an excellent conference and I am talking about villains. So uh, going back to the old traditional Sasha topics. Uh, in the next week then, what will I be doing? I... I'm waiting for a coaching call because I am in a bit of a period of transition and I want to make some new plans uh, for things and stuff <laughs> I can't really talk about yet, which is very annoying. Um, but yes, I think I will probably be editing the book. I'm meant to be editing the book because I want to get this book uh, to a beta reader before I go on half term break and go up to Edinburgh in, in at the end of October. Um, but I'm just going to wait until my coaching call, I think, so I'm not going to make any plans. Okay, enough from me. Rebel of the week this week is Jenny Crypton. Jenny says, uh, oh, and so for listeners, I do recommend you go to the show notes in this episode because you will get to see a photo of Jenny's uh, rebellion. So my Jenny says, my daughter has re-entered the dog show world after many years away. Um, uh, as in, she had to become an adult to afford the dog herself, <laughs> except my daughter doesn't drive. So that's where I come in. This, and then this is referring to the photo, is what I wore to dog show day two. So the image is of Jenny's uh, sort of torso and she is wearing, uh, to a dog show, she is wearing a superhero cat t-shirt. So the t-shirt has a cat on it with the Superman uh, uh, sort of outfit on and it's hilarious. So she says, I wore this because one, cat person, and two, super cat. Even though Pippin took seven-month-old miniature long-haired dash hound, uh, and di he didn't win, he's the cutest grand dog ever, duh, so he's a winner to me, even though he didn't win. Uh, ridiculous video of him behaving in a very undog show-like manner is available on my TikTok, which is at Jenny, and it's J-E-N-N-I-E -N -N -E underscore Krypton, and uh, I will make sure that's in the show notes as well. Uh, yes, I'm making up words. I am very tired and must go sell all the books at the bookshop now. Side note, my daily rebellion for the last six years is that I only wear Superman t-shirts every day with rare exceptions. It has been great for branding. Uh, also, I no longer fret about how, how unfashionable I am. I make my own fashion. It eliminate, eliminates decision fatigue and is easiest laundry pile ever. It worked for Steve Jobs. Can I just say, I bloody love that because one, the branding is amazing. I love, love, love that, um, you, that she's incorporated this into her branding, but also, completely agree about decision fatigue. I um, am in such bad decision fatigue that I have had to write a list of decisions that I need to make because I can't even make the decisions. So I spent yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, which was Wednesday the, si uh, the 5th, because it's now Thursday the 6th of October. 
I spent yesterday wiping down my whiteboard and adding loads of stuff onto my to-do list because and and part of that to-do list was a decision list because I just I'm so tired that I don't feel capable of making any decisions right now so I was like I'm gonna write all the decisions down and then uh, uh and then I will figure them out later but yeah and some of the things that help are for me things like using gusto or um hello fresh i think some some of the food boxes are called and you just pick the options like it narrows having options to pick from narrows down the decision fatigue because it's not an open you have the world as your oyster amount of options it's much easier to say i'm going to wear um I'm going to pick this food um, and that food, but not the others. And likewise with the clothing. If you, I have branded clothes as well, uh, Rebel Author clothes, so that I don't have to make decisions about what I wear in the week. So um, I completely agree. I think it's brilliant. Okay, if you'd like to be a Rebel of the Week, then please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome uh, to new patron, Sianne McKinnon. A huge thank you for joining me. And of course, a massive thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like movie nights, we're going to have a Halloween movie night, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Right, that's enough for me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by returning guest, Sarah Rosette. Sarah is the USA Today best-selling author of 30 cozy mysteries and historical mysteries, as well as books and courses for writers, including how to write a series, which I've read, and how to outline a cozy mystery. She hosts not one, but two. And this is new to me. I did not know this. I knew about one of your podcasts, but she hosts two podcasts, uh, Mystery Books Podcast for Readers and the Wish I'd Known Then for Writers Podcasts, a podcast with Jamie Albright, which I love. Um, and my good friend, Helen Schwerer was on that uh, just recently. Yes. So yeah. Um, um, so you were last on this uh, show in January 21. Like, what the fuck? That feels like 10,000 <laughs> years ago. Oh, my goodness me. That was um, mid-pandemic. Yes. Um, which I just, I can't believe that was only a year and a half ago, but it was a year and a half ago. Um, and that was yeah it literally feels like a decade ago. And it, that was episode 69, in case listeners are interested, and I will put links in the show notes. But Tell everyone what you've been up to since then, because that 18 months is really at least five years. <laughs> okay. Well, I had to go back and look because I was like, I don't know. Like <laughs> time is just like, I'm in this time warp. I don't know what day it is or what year we're in, but, um, yeah, I've been doing more writing. I've been releasing, I released another book or two in my historical mystery series and I started translations. Um, I'm doing the historical in German and French and that's going well. And, and how are you doing those? Because there are lots of ways to translate these days. Yes, I'm doing that. Well, I've hired two different translators to work on it. And um, they, I send everything off and they send it back. But it's a lot of project management. And I would not advise doing two languages at once. That's like okay. too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, noted. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my big lesson learned from translations. And then um, I experimented. I did a, a journal planner for mystery readers. Like they can keep track of the books they're reading and it has a little calendar in there. So I tried that out. And then I've done, I kept up my podcast. I've 
been doing a seasonal podcast for mystery readers where I just talk about what I've been reading and then um, trying some new things like I'm beginning. I feel like I'm kind of shifting in my business model. We're going to talk about that later. And I love that question because trying Kickstarter and some more direct sales, direct sale type things to reach my readers. So, you, yeah. you are just an inspiration to me. You're so entrepreneurial. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I can't <laughs> wait to dive into this. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask before we dive in, the the reader, reader-focused reader podcast, how is that yeah. going? Are you seeing any impact like on on your, like or I'm guessing you also mentioned your own, your own books yes. in there. Are you yeah. finding it has an impact? Have you managed to find an audience? Like how are you I finding have- it works? I have found an audience and it's, um, it's one of those, like, you feel like you're kind of speaking into the void and you don't know if it's reaching people, but then I'm doing it in season. So I'll do like seven or nine episodes and take a break for a couple of months. My plan was to do it in between book releases, but it hasn't gone quite that smoothly, you know, COVID and all that kind of got in the way. But, um, but when I, when I don't have something out, people will email me and they'll say, Hey, when is the next one coming out? I miss it. Or will there be more episodes? And it's, I get downloads on it all the time. Not like, oh, so interesting. not huge, but it is being listened to. And I was doing nothing to promote it. So I was like, I've got to keep this up. So I've started doing some Pinterest ads for it. I've had not ads, but just like pins. So people mm-hmm. can find podcast if they're readers because you know a lot of readers are on Pinterest Mm -hmm. so I think that's helped kind of help get the word out but yeah it does have its little a a little following and they're very specific to the type of book I write and so yeah I think it's working but it's one of those that it's very hard to measure you know yeah it yeah I mean it really is hard to measure podcasts uh uh, because also Mm -hmm. the stats are notoriously unreliable as well like Mm -hmm despite what your stats say, you will then go to like another one of the providers and they do not match in any way, shape or form. And you're like, and it's just, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's awful. Um, it's interesting because I, I very nearly started another podcast um, and I stopped myself because I was like, bitch, your plate is so full. Can you really do another one? And uh, yeah, but but it was fiction specific. Right. And uh, that is encouraging. Yeah. Naughty. It's naughty. You may <laughs> want to do it again. <laughs> okay. Well, we are here to talk about Cozy Mystery. Okay. So first, I wondered if you could actually... So I'm a newbie to Cozy Mystery. I have a couple of friends that write Cozy Mysteries, but I've never read a Cozy Mystery. Okay. So um, I want... And I'm sure there are other listeners who, who've never read Cozy Mysteries. So I wondered if you could start by explain, explaining what actually is a Cozy Mystery um, and maybe a little bit about the genre and how it differs from sort of the periphery genres that are attached. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a cozy mystery, I didn't know about them either until, you know, I started writing and I found this niche and I was like, how did I not know these were here? But, um, they're like an intellectual puzzle. They're a whodunit They're They should be like, they call it fairly clued where there's clues where if the reader's reading, they can figure out who did it, but they're hopefully your clues are dropped in in a way that the reader just totally misses it. And at the end, they're like, Oh, of course, you know, you want to surprise them a little bit. Um, there it's, you would like this because they're a challenge. It's like (laughs) a a race between the reader and the detective. Um, the, so you have to have, you know, your setup with the mystery and the clues and the red herrings. 
They're often a single POV, usually female, but doesn't have to be. There's plenty of, you know, male protagonist cozies out there. Not as many, but there are some. Um, usually you have your closed circle of suspects. So like there's something that limits the mystery to a certain location, a village, a town, a business, something, you know, that limits the, the, um, so it's like, it has a smaller stage than like a thriller. A thriller can be international, you know, and usually in a thriller, you, you often know who's done it and you're trying to stop something from happening. And there's the ticking clock in a mystery. You don't know who's done it. You, you're trying to figure that out. Um, or sometimes it's a, how did they do it? Like you kind of know who did it, but you're trying to the how, how done it is another kind of variation on it. Um, let's see, there's, in a cozy, there's like little to no swearing, graphic violence, all that sex, everything takes place off stage. Oh, and, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're very like what you'd be termed like clean, clean books, yeah. you know, but yeah. I know that a lot of people don't like that term, but it is a uh, more, I don't know whitewashed look at crime than like a psychological th thriller, you know, mm -hmm. you just don't go into that really gruesome detail for the death and stuff like that. And then, um, like, if you think of like Agatha Christie, uh, Jessica Fletcher, Miss Fisher, those kinds of that kind of lighter tone, that's kind of the tone they have. And I mean, Agatha Christie does get pretty dark. So she's kind of like some of her books I would consider a cozy and some I wouldn't. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so interesting to me. So, um, and also interesting about the, the smaller settings. So kind of like mm -hmm. the romance versus small town romance, kind of like yes. thriller versus, um, sorry, mystery versus like international mystery versus like cozy mystery. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. I, um, crying a little bit about the no swearing, no sex, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, there are cozies. I mean, it is a pretty wide range and some, there are some cozies that do have some of that, mm -hmm. but I just wouldn't go like really deep yeah. into it. If you want to reach, you know, the majority of the readers. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Correctly. Give the reader what the reader, I'm calling it right to reader because I hate the phrase yes. right to market, but yeah. Right yeah, to reader. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what are some of the tropes or quirks that make cozy mysteries different to other genres? Obviously, we've talked about the fact that um, there's no swearing, it's slightly clean. But yeah, I wonder if, if there were like any particular tropes that you often find or quirks in the genre. Um, and sort of like a sub part to that is like what aspects kind of give it the voice and feel um that would you know the things that would help readers and um, writers write to the market and to the reader okay so i think that the main thing about cozies is the tone like you want it to be light and not depressing and not super scary like you have tension and you have suspense but as a reader you're not like oh are they going to survive or you know is something is horrible going to happen it can be. Yeah. Okay. And it does have humor in it. Yeah. Mine all have humor, but it's more like mine are more like a bantery, mm -hmm. like humor comes out in banter or like in the situation, um, not like slapstick, but yeah, there yeah. is humor. And I think location is really important. Um, cause your readers want to read about a nice place that they would like to go. They want like the beautiful cottage by the beach or the, you know, the quaint village in England that everyone dreams of visiting that maybe really doesn't exist, but that's kind of what they like. They like the idea of that. And, um, 
you really need a murder or something. You need a mystery, at least some sort of mystery to keep cozy readers interested because they do want that mystery element. Um, some popular tropes would be like starting over. This happens a lot. Like you have a character who's like down and out, something horrible has happened. And the only where she can go, the only place she can go is go home. And so she goes home to start over. And then there's like all this backstory there for her to explore like old relationships and old rivalries and things. And uh, a, a really popular trope is like inheriting a house, often a mansion, um, or a business. And you have to go back to this little town where you know everybody and you are trying to like start this business or clean up the house and sell it. Cause you just want to get out of there. But of course, you know, that's not what happens, but so there's a lot of like wish fulfillment in it. Like, wouldn't it be great to inherit a house in this, you know, little town or wouldn't it be great to inherit this business? And so there's like that aspect of it. And then, um, Another thing I think is like, you've got this quirky sidekick usually is a trope, kind of a lot of comic relief usually with that. And then you usually have a circle of friends. Like there's a lot of cozies that like take place in bookstores or craft related, like knitting circles and book clubs. And, um, I think that is like wish fulfillment because we all want that circle of friends, you know, and people pick up cozies because they want to read. They want to go back to those friendship connections and experience that vicariously, you know? Um, yeah. So are so they all contemporary or is there fan like, are there fantasy cozy? Oh yeah. There's, as well? there's uh, paranormal cozies. Ah, so okay. yeah. So there, that's a whole uh, subgenre. So there's all these different subgenres. So there's paranormal. And I think that's probably pretty light, pretty light even more light than a contemporary, like modern cozy, I guess you call it can be. And then you've got like more historical. That's kind of what I've moved into. I think your historicals could be considered a cozy as long as, you know, you keep them within those parameters or they might, if they're a little bit darker, you might just market them as just like a historical mystery, not a historical cozy. You do recent history though, don't you? Sort of like, I'm sure I've seen like art I do deco 1920s. stuff. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought it was 1920s. I'm sure I've seen yeah. like the art yeah. deco type kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and and so are you hitting all of those tropes except set in the 1920s? Um, partly. So there is like, I've noticed with my historical readers because I've surveyed them. I was like, I just asked them, you know, hey, fill out this form and tell me what you think. And one of the reasons historical readers read is they want to learn about history, a different culture. A lot of the historical cozies or historical mysteries take place in other countries. And so like you're learning about another place in another time, they really enjoy that. And I don't know that a contemporary cozy reader would be as interested in that, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, and then they want to learn about history too. They're like, tell me about these characters that lived, you know, in the 1920s and what they did. So they're more into that. So do you have to, sorry, and I know I'm going really off tangent, but I'm so fascinated by this. (laughs) Do you have to do a lot of research to like make it historically accurate or do you get more scope because it's not like, uh, you know, hard, hard line historical fiction? Okay. Well, okay. So because of my strengths and I know you love strengths. I really do. (laughs) I'm number one intellection, number two input, I think number three learner. So like for me, research is, I love it. And it like, inspires me. And that's uh, sometimes I'll read something like a biography of somebody who lived in, and then that gives me ideas for the book. 
or for okay. the plot. So I do a lot of research, but it's just because I love it. I know other people who don't do as much research and their books do just as well. You just don't want to make it because historical readers, they do know like the culture and the time, mm-hmm. especially like they like certain, they tend to like certain time periods and they read lots of books set like say in Victorian or medieval. And if you get something major wrong, they're going to be upset. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in your book, you talk about um, the psychology of cozies and why readers choose them. I suppose you've kind of covered this a little bit um, already, but I wondered if you wanted to add anything else or touch upon anything else about like the psychology of a cozy mystery. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is wish fulfillment. You want to go to that nice scenic place, the cabin in the mountains or the beach front cottage or something. But, um, and then you want that circle of friends. I think that's two very key things, but I think also cozy readers really like that justice is done. The crime is solved. Like if you don't solve the crime, they're going to be very, very mad. So you solve the crime. And I think part of that is just because our world now is just little out of control, you know, and that's a way that like, you feel like, Oh, I can pick up this book. And I know that by the end, even though somebody dies, it will all be taken care of. It will, the bad person will get their comeuppance at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, there's always a reason behind the crime. It's not like, Oh, just some random act of violence, which in a way is, can be comforting because there is a reason behind it, not just random violence. And, um, a lot of times I think they like it because of, uh, the underdog wins because like you're an amateur sleuth in the main, in the character, the main character is an amateur sleuth. And so they don't have access to all the stuff the police do. And a lot of times there's like a tension between the investigating officer and the amateur sleuth. And so like they're, they're kind of handicapped, but then in often overlooked, but then at the end, you know, they come out on top because they, usually they have some sort of inside knowledge that gives them the key to the mystery because they're part of that community. Uh, Okay. Whereas a police officer might not know that. Yeah. Some detail. Yeah. Yeah. Like some, some interaction that they were witness to or, oh, that makes so much more sense. I I did wonder how that works when they're not (laughs) like, when they're not a police officer, how do they figure it out? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Okay. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes writers make when trying to approach, you know, maybe coming into the cozy mystery genre? Um, I think one of the main ones is not having a strong enough mystery. Like you really you need that puzzle element. If it's not, I I think the murder is used a lot. Murder is used a lot because it's such a big thing to happen. And like, you really need a compelling reason for somebody to get involved in an investigation. So like, if you're a suspect, you're might be motivated to clear your name or somebody you love is that you'd be motivated to do that. Um, but yeah, you need to have a challenging mystery to draw your amateur sleuth in and make it reasonable. And for the reader to keep reading. Um, I think I've, I've, I think you can write to the wrong subset of cozy readers. Like if you're writing a paranormal cozy and you do like that really detailed research that like I would do for historical, that may not match up. That may not be what they want. And that can be kind of a mismatch, you know? So you kind of have to figure out exactly what your readers want. Um, and it depends. Some, some cozies are very heavy on romance and some are not. And I've had, I sent out a questionnaire 
one time and I was like, so what do you like or not like in cozies? And like one of the top responses was too much romance. Like they want some romance, but they don't want the whole story to be romance, or at least that's what my readers said. So, you know, they want the romance subplot, not the main plot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like the, the divide between fantasy romance mm-hmm. and romantic fantasy and like, like mm-hmm. obviously in romantic fantasy it's more a fantasy plot with romance mm-hmm. whereas in fantasy romance it's all romance with a bit of fantasy like on the on the outside like it's a it's right. and, and the thing is unless you read enough in your genre mm-hmm. you do not understand that nuance and that difference and like where that line is drawn and it, you know yeah, like, and it's just so important to read, 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 read in your genre. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand how anyone can write in a genre and not read it, but that's yeah, just me. and it can happen when, like, even when you know the genre, you may think this will be a great path to go down, and it'll be new and different, but it may be a little bit too much. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I've I've seen that too. That I think you need to be inventive and come up with new twist on the tropes and things like that, but not go crazy because then your readers are like, "Uh, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So obviously you've mentioned that part of a cozy mystery is the mystery, which means Mm -hmm. you need to plant clues. You need to plot red herrings. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you mentioned that it was a race, which I loved (laughs) between the reader (laughs) and the writer. Um, so how do you actually do that? And how do you do it effectively? Okay. Well, I try to think of some examples because for me, I always feel better if I can, I grasp it better if I have an example. So, um, what you want to do is you want to leave your clues in plain sight, but you want to hide them in a way that the reader just skips right over them. Oh, and interesting. so like, um, there's like one way to get one good way to do this is like a list of items. Like if you have a certain item that you need somebody, you need your reader to know is in the house or in the kitchen, then, you know, you describe the things that are there, but you include it in the middle of the list not first or last, you put it in the middle, or I've done this where like you have a bit of information that you need to get across. But if you do it really early in the book, by the time that you get to the end, a lot of readers will have forgotten about it. And I've done this as a reader. I'm like, Oh, of course they did mention that they signed that document in chapter two. And you don't really connect it because because you're in the introductory phase, you know, so that's one way to do it. Um, I had a book where in my first book in the historical series, I had a character, the murder is that somebody is pushed off a balcony in the middle of a fireworks display at a country home. And so it's night, it's dark, and there's not a lot of light. And the people who saw it happen, see a man and a woman, and they see the man go over. And in the flashes of light, they see that the woman had blonde hair. So of course, all there's going to be plenty of blonde haired suspects in this book. So there's going to be a lot of women. So that's your clue is the blonde hair. But then in the story, I had my character touring this country house. It was the home of this famous society photographer who had a studio and it had costumes and props and she sees a blonde wig. So like, that's all you need for a mystery reader to go, okay, it doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man. So see, like then you've doubled your suspects so that in that book, the, the wig was a red herring, but 
it caused the reader to start second guessing and thinking, oh, well, maybe it's not just the women. It could be the men. It could be it could that's be a brunette genius. woman, you know? Yeah, yeah that's and genius. So, and I know that would work because my proofreader put a little comment in and was like, oh, my spidey senses are tingling. And then later is like, oh, you got me with a yeah. big. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Winner. <laughs> yes, got it, Trisha. Yeah. So, yeah. But then I was also going to add that the things that can be, doesn't have to be physical things. Like you can have for clues and red herrings, you can have um, behaviors. Like if somebody lies, that can be a clue. It can be a knowledge like of the crime or knowledge that the person that maybe two people know each other. Maybe they've said they don't know each other. I used this one time where this man brings a cup of coffee to a woman and it's exactly the way she likes it very specifically, like the certain number of creams and sugars, but he doesn't know her supposedly. So how would he know how she likes her coffee unless they really know each other? So things like that, that your mm-hmm. sleuth can pick up on and go, Oh yeah, maybe they don't, maybe they do know each other or it can be like an absence. Like maybe somebody said they were at a certain place, but when you check on it, they're not, or there was supposedly a letter delivered, but maybe the postman never came that day. That, that's from an Agatha oh, Christie book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I love it. So do you plot these in advance or do you figure them out as you go? Well, what I do is I take, when I start out, I know who's going to die and how they're going to die. And then I put their name in the middle of a piece of paper and I draw all these lines. And then each person is a suspect around them. And I figure out how the suspects are connected to the main character or the character who dies. So it could be, you know, a friend, it could be like they found the body. It could be that, you know, they were the last person to see them alive or whatever. But, um, I figure out how they're connected. And then I figure out different things that could be suspicious for each one. So maybe, you know, they're doing something else that's suspicious. They're not a murderer, but maybe they're having an affair and they're acting weird trying to cover that up because they don't want that to come out, you know, certain things like that. So I try and figure out each person. And then I usually, when I start writing, I'm like, okay, in this part of the book, my amateur sleuth is going to suspect to this person and she'll either run down that path until it's a dead end and come back, or she'll find a clue that makes her continue to think. So it's like, I kind of do it in phases. I'm like, but I need, I feel like I need like four to five good suspects to keep it interesting. It blows my mind. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think you're a genius, to be perfectly honest. I don't don't know that I could do that. Oh, I bet you could. I think it's just like, and I don't know, I don't have it all completely planned out when I start. Mm -hmm. I know like the big, big movements the story is going to make, and she's going to investigate this person and this person and this person, and then she's going to clear this person. But I don't know all the tiny details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask about your business model um, sure. and I wondered if you could tell everyone a little bit about it because I know that you've got like an interesting backstory <laughs> and so yeah it's t- talk to me about your business model KU trad hybrid wide rapid release slower release and then um, specifically how does your model influence your major marketing methods as a cozy mystery author yeah okay so I love this question because I think we don't talk about 
how people are publishing enough. Like we just hear, Oh, they're doing great. And you don't know, are they wide or NAK or whatever? So I love it. Um, so I started out traditionally published and then after 10 books in my, and I, those were cozy mysteries as well. So after 10 books in that series, I transitioned to being a hybrid author for a while. And then now I'm pretty much all in indie. So, um, I've, but I've been wide the whole time because I figured when I went indie, I was like, I have readers on all the retailers, so I need to be there. So that's what I did. I was, I just always pretty much been wide. I put one book in KU for one term and obviously it didn't do well because you know you need a lot of books in KU to do well and I was like well this isn't working so I pulled it out and I haven't gone back except I've done some translations in KU for a short time to kind of get them to take off but so I'm mostly wide um I do mostly slow release I think people would qualify it as slow release it's not a book a month it's um I have released maybe two to three books a year for, you know, like if you average it out, that's what it comes out to be. Um, the most recent thing I've done that's a little bit different is I held back the first three books in the historical series and released them 90 days apart. And that did really well to help that series get off the ground and like get the readers really into it. But um, after that, I didn't release every 90 days. So like it's, I did kind of a slower rapid release if there is such a thing and then further apart from that like four to six months in between books and after since covid it's been even longer than that because things are just crazy in the in the 90 day cycles did you when you as you were releasing the first one did you have both of the others on pre-order like were all three on pre-order at the same time i think so i think they were i know the second one was for sure and I think the third one was, it's been a while since I did that, but I think that if I do launch another series, that's probably, I would try and have at least the first two ready to go. I think mm-hmm. that just helps. Uh, I think when a reader reads a book and they love it and they want more, you want to be able to give them at least book two. You know, I think that's, that's what I learned from that. Yeah. So. I, I have always wanted to do that, but I've been frustrated at my pace and it's mm-hmm. only in the last year that I have now found a process that really, really works. And so I can write like I've literally 10 X to my pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm at the point where that's what I want to do. Yeah. Because, because, I mean, I have a long prep period, but then getting the book out is like three weeks I can get a book out in three weeks how in terms of the work yeah but it's it's all the pre- it's all of the thinking time that I've not right. not been giving myself and so I mm-hmm. just clear the decks and allow myself to think and plot and think and replot and outline and re-outline and you know and it's only then that when I've done all the thinking that yeah okay well that's just the last bit then you just you're vomiting it out um right. But now it's only now that I'm like, oh, actually, I can do that now because it's mm-hmm. not going to be three years in between like <laughs> each book. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting that you said that. Yeah. I, I I love that. So yeah. you also mentioned like changes to your model. Yes. So um, so what I I feel like we've gone through this phase where indie publishing, like when I first came in, I think my first book came out in 2012. It was like anything goes, you can, let's write anything we want and publish it. And we've kind of shifted to become more like publishers. Like we're like, Oh, this series isn't selling. So I will write something that's different or will sell. And um, now I feel like we're moving a little bit away from the retailers into, 
I want to know my customers and I want to know who my readers are. And the way to do that is direct sales. So I'm trying it out with a Kickstarter. So, um, I'm, I've got a Kickstarter running right now as we record this and it's done really well so far. And it's shown me that my readers will pay a higher price. They, they are completely willing to pay more than six or $7 for a book. And, um, that's really good news. So I think that I will shift more into doing special things for them. Um, like the hard, I'm doing a Kickstarter for this, a hardcover for a book that's been out for years, but I'm adding color to the interior. It has a new cover. It's got, um, just all these little touches that are different and make it special that they're, they like. So, I mean, that gives me a lot of incentive to do more interesting things. The Kickstarter also has, um, mysteries in the mail, like letters, a short story told through letters that I mail to people. Oh, and wow. Love that idea. And I was like, okay. And see, yeah. you can't do that at a retailer, you know, you can't. so I'm trying a couple of things like that. So, so that's yeah, so that's incredible. kind of how. Oh my goodness. Have you got ideation in your top 10 by any chance? I don't think so, but I do like, I, I, I love to think. So I'm always yeah. trying to like figure out certain things. So yeah. 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 I love it. And so are you selling direct now as well? I'm literally, as we talk, I am reading Morgana Best's yeah. book that's like doing the rounds at the moment. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, and it's blowing my brains a little bit. It's like, it's, I feel like I'm, as a millennial, I'm a pretty shit millen- millennial <laughs> when it comes to tech. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny because I think you're, you, you are selling on your website, right? I am, but I'm not really like, I'm a bit shit. Like my latest book, which came out in July, I still have not got on there. Like, and it's now fucking like basically October now. So it's like, yeah, okay. I do, I do have it there and I set them all up eventually, but like, I am really not capitalizing on it. And it's like, I know. You know, yeah. there's there's other things like really I could be doing box sets on there. You know, some of the things mm-hmm. that she's talked about in there, you know, bigger box sets, like digital mm-hmm. box sets, of you know, that I could put on there easily and, and just do. And I'm just not really making the most of it. And, you know, I think... I think the people who are using Shopify, it's a, it's a better interface. You know, I've got mm-hmm. WooCommerce yes. on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I understand. It, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do. I understand. And I'm the same way. I am selling a little on, like I have the PayPal or uh, PayHip integration set up and I, and I, you know, try and send my readers there, but I'm not doing it in a, in a focused way. And so I think this will, and that was part of the reason I was like, I'll try the Kickstarter and see if there's any interest. And then if there is one thing I've learned is that you want to offer your readers things that are not available on the retailers. Yes. So the one time I did well was when I offered a signed paperback pre-order. And so, yeah. And so that worked really well. And I was actually fucking like flabbergasted. There were so many orders. I had to get a team of people to help me wrap and (laughs) like pack and ship everything. That's awesome. It was awesome. It really was. And it really, um, surprised me that so many people were willing to buy direct and pay for the postage you know because yes. I'm not Amazon I can't prime, right. prime deliver and I was genuinely very humbled by that yeah. and, and that sort of opened my eyes to the fact yeah. that actually maybe there are other possibilities um 
but also, uh, you know, I still got a little one and it's very hard yes. time wise to do yeah. all, all of the things. So it yeah. is something that I would like to do more. And I look on very enviously at everybody doing Kickstarters thinking, oh, they're amazing. Yeah. My friend Claire Sager's just done a uh, Kickstarter and she did amazingly well. And I just looked on just these delightfully beautiful like hardbacks and merch and all the rest of it and I just think that anybody doing Kickstarter is phenomenal and uh yeah maybe one day in my future I will yeah. be brave enough to do it yeah. well it's a little like period of time that yeah. you dedicate to it and not it's not ongoing I hope yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um okay so um I had a patron ask me about uh being an introvert and mm-hmm. how you market and if you had any advice on marketing as an introvert yeah yeah um my thought would be I try and focus on the things that like I try and focus on my newsletter and I, I'm, I was thinking through this because I knew you were gonna ask this question and I was thinking about the things that I do and a lot of them are almost like they're like one way, like my newsletter goes out and I don't really, I get some replies and some comments, but it's like, I send out my newsletter and I try and focus on getting people on the newsletter, but it's not like that's a super high intensive, not like um, being on Facebook all the time and replying to comments. And, you know, I feel like that's more draining to me. So I do the, the newsletter and I focus on like the podcast where I try and reach people. And that's also more one way, you know, it's like I send out the podcast and hopefully they enjoy it. And, you know, kind of, that's just kind of what I do. And then, um, I do things like I don't enjoy Facebook, but my readers are there because Facebook is my readers are a little bit older demographic, but, um, they are on Pinterest and I much prefer Pinterest. So I just try and find like that. It's like that Venn diagram where you've got what they, where they are, what I enjoy, you know, and like, where can we cross over? And so I just try and find those places. Um, I do, I've found that my audiobooks reach a younger audience. And so I've really, you know, made sure all my stuff gets into audio when it comes out, it's all in audio. So I hopefully I'm expanding out my audience a little bit. Um, and I focused on libraries a lot too, because I think that's a good way to reach people. And all it is, is an email. My assistant helps me and she sends out an email to the, we started like with my local libraries in my little area. And then we've kind of expanded out in bigger rings, you know, just getting bigger and bigger. And so it's just an email that you eat, you send them. So it's like things like that I do that are more like I would, um, I will do an event if I'm asked to do an event. Um, I feel much more comfortable on panels than being the sole focus, you know, a speaker, I'd rather be on a panel and I'll kind of like gird my loins. I'm going to go do this thing. And I usually really enjoy it, but I don't do that all the time. So Mm -hmm. I try and kind of like space out my, my marketing that's going to drain me. Cause I feel like, you know, it's good to do events and meet people but I don't want my whole marketing plan to be like going to conventions and conferences. Cause that would kill me, you know? <laughs> so I try and kind of like keep it where it's, I'm more comfortable with it personally. Yeah. I think that's so wise. And I think it's a, a bit of a, an experiment at first to try and figure yes. out where those lines are. So like I recently had the realization that I absolutely love being on stage. Like it is catnip <laughs> to me. I come off 
batshit high. I <laughs> I was presenting at Jericho Writers a couple of weekends ago and I did seven hours of speaking. And at the end, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And one of them was three straight hours, literally three straight hours of yeah. presenting. Yeah, I fucking loved it. I was high as a kite. Um, <laughs> but do you know what drained drained me instantaneously was the social interactions in between the sessions. I just could not handle it. Like I'd come off high, I'd be like dancing, you know, so happy. And then, you know, I'd get a few minutes to myself and then bam, it'd be straight into the questions and the the mm-hmm. one-on-ones or the group, mm-hmm. the one to met, you know, one to sort of five or whatever. And I just it would I'd come straight back down. And so yeah. that's been a real, real interesting lesson to me about loving being on the stage but not necessarily um being able to do all of the social stuff afterwards and therefore can I go back to my room or can I you know how do I protect that Mm -hmm. and that was so interesting to me because you wouldn't expect that if somebody is extroverted on the stage you'd expect them to be extroverted off the stage but that's Mm -hmm. not at all it it was just it's just fascinating it's very interesting yeah 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 because like for me I don't mind chatting in small groups but like if I am like if they do one of those like big round table things where there's like 30 people, I don't want to do that. I just, I, I won't say anything. I'll listen, but I won't say anything. But if I'm in a group of two or three, I'll chat. And so like, I try and keep my, like at conferences, I'm like, I know that I'll feel more comfortable if I'm in smaller groups versus larger groups. And you just kind of have to figure that out. Yeah. You know? It's it so interesting. <laughs> I love it. I'm fascinated. Um, okay. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Okay. Well, I, I, I've used my good, my good story last time. (laughs) (laughs) So this time this will be a little one. Um, so we were, uh, my husband and I were on a tour. We went on this trip and we're not really tour people like a tour. We much off more prefer the like Rick Steves kind of like you just go and do your own thing and stuff. And that's what we've always done. But this time we're like, well, we'll go. So we went and it was set up most of the time where you could kind of have your, you could do things or not, but they had this one day that you were supposed to go with the group. They were going to go see, uh, we were in Athens and we were going to go see, you know, all the, the Acropolis and everything, but they weren't going until like two in the afternoon. And we were like, oh, it's going to be so crowded. And so we didn't, we got up early and we went by ourselves. <laughs> First thing <laughs> we were with the doors open. I know this is such a funny, like not rebel story, but we did it all. And we got beautiful pictures and it wasn't crowded and it was gorgeous. We saw the sunrise. It was just beautiful. Oh, wow. Did you yeah. go again at two? No, no. But the funny thing was that when we, we left and we went and did some other things and then we were on the way back from the hotel and we saw the whole group and they were on their way and we were like past them. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I love that. So here's the funny thing about rebellion. I have been, it's taken me this long. And I, I mentioned this on a different podcast, but I can't remember the order in which these podcasts will air, but, um, I have been thinking obviously and intellecting on rebellion. That mm-hmm. is the point of this podcast. And and the more I think about it, the more I have come to realize that even though there are many, many reasons for rebellions, be it wanting change, societal change, wanting to make something better or, or whatever, at the heart of almost every single rebellion I have ever heard is about finding joy 
and giving yourself mm-hmm. joy. It is about doing the thing that is going to bring you happiness. And like, that is what I love. That's exactly what you did. You rebelled <laughs> because you were like, this is going to make me miserable. So I'm going to go and yes. do this because this is going to bring me joy. And I love that. I love it so much. That is a true rebellion. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books and anything else that you would like to add. Okay. So everything's at my website at sarahrosette.com. And um, if you're interested in more about cozies, I've got a how to outline a cozy book and a course that kind of goes into more detail. It gives examples from books and movies and things and breaks things down. And it's at sarahrosette.com forward slash cozy. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Well, Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of their episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Sarah Rosette. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Join me next week as I talk to Grant Faulkner uh, all about NaNoWriMo. Uh, So if you have not heard of it, then you'll definitely want to check this out. If you have heard of it, but you need some tips for completing, or perhaps if you're participating this year, then join us next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.